important responsibility that we have uh, through God uh, to lead our homes. And uh, it is a great responsibility. The, the issue of our country is the breakdown of, of our homes. And um, so men, you guys that are faithfully serving your home and the Lord, thank you. A um, couple things. Uh, Russ mentioned that uh, Pastor Tim, is uh, he's in Orlando now. He's picking up uh, him and Sarah are picking up their girls, and he'll be back uh, for Wednesday. The, the Guatemala team, as uh, Russ mentioned, has made it back to the States. Uh, three guys drove all night and got uh, back into Richmond uh, this morning, probably a couple hours ago now. So uh, praise the Lord. That was the one real concern I had, but uh, the Lord's delivered them safely. Uh, so that's good. And so soon we will give you an update on the, the missions trip to Guatemala uh, within the next two weeks. Uh, we'll, we'll have it all together and pictures and, and, uh, and Pastor Tim will review it and I'm sure Trevor may have a part as well. So uh, looking forward to hearing that. Um, many of you know that um, this past Wednesday, Sarah Moncrief, who normally is up here with our worship team, uh, was involved in a serious accident and her vehicle uh, rolled several times. Um, Praise the Lord. Uh, it seems the, the worst of her injuries would be a broken foot. Uh, she is bruised uh, pretty well. But uh, yesterday she went home from the hospital, which is good to hear. Uh, so she's recuperating. So I'd ask that you guys keep her in prayer uh, these next several weeks. Um, with that, let's, let's stand as we pray for our country, which is our custom here. We've been doing this for, gosh, probably four or five years now since... Uh, Pastor Charles Stanley uh, preached a sermon on uh, what our country needs to do in in terms of coming back to the Lord. And since then, uh, we've been praying for our country and we'll continue to do that. So uh, pray with me, please. Father, on a day where we uh, honor fathers, Lord, we pray that there would be more that would honor you. And Lord, that uh, our homes would become ones that honor you, whether Lord, you use uh, a single mom or a dad or, uh, Lord, that each home would honor you. And, Father, we pray uh, for strength, Lord, for wisdom, Lord, for your covering on us. Lord, as we see our country head in the wrong direction, Lord, we know it's not falling apart. It's falling into place. Father, we know what's going to happen. We know the last page of the Bible And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you, Lord, to be a sacrificial life. Lord, we pray for wisdom for our leaders. Lord, we know that an election is not going to change this country, Lord. We know it is only through you and your spirit moving through churches and and the hearts of those who love you. So we pray for revival, Lord. And we ask that, Lord, it would start in this pulpit, in this church, in this city, Lord, throughout our land, one more great revival. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. You can be seated. If you're here today and you need a Bible, we, we have a Bible for you, and it is marked to our passage, which is Second Timothy chapter 1. So if you raise your hand, our faithful ushers will put a Bible in your hand. If you do not have a Bible, please use this as a gift from the Lord and take it with you. So as I mentioned, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1 for most of uh, the teaching, but we're going to hit on a couple other uh, verses within 2 Timothy as well. So on this Father's Day, I want to look at the attributes of a father that we see in God's Word. So today I'll be speaking mostly to dads, but we will see attributes that can be applied to each one of us. So whether you're a single dad, a single mom, um, these can be applied to your, to your home. Uh, and even if you don't have any children, these truths can be applied to you as well. And one other thing, if your biological father was maybe not the best father, uh, as, Rush, as Russ quoted uh, Psalm 68, uh, which I have in my notes, uh, he is a father to the fatherless. And that relationship is the one that counts most. And so... He's longing for that close relationship with you. 
so if your biological father maybe wasn't the greatest or wasn't there for you, he is. And our father longs to have a, a relationship with you. So we often think that a good dad is a, a good provider for his family. And yes, that's important. Or that a good father is a protector of his family. And yes, that's important too. But there's more than, more than that. Being a good dad, and Scripture is going to tell us that this morning. So I want to focus on the relationship between the Apostle Paul and his spiritual son, Timothy. So it wasn't his biological son, it was his spiritual son. And in that relationship, we see what God the Father says is important. In Timothy, we see a son who was discipled in his home by his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. You can see that in Acts chapter 16. So already, because you know, his home life wasn't perfect, his, his father was not, was a heathen, he was a Greek. So that wasn't a perfect Christian home that some of us were not blessed to grow up in. So you can already see that, that today's truths are applied to those within a family that's not perfect in terms of having a mother or father who loved the Lord. Timothy likely comes to Christ in uh, Paul's first missionary journey to Lystra. And then on the second one, uh, Paul puts him into service. So uh, it's on that first missionary journey that the, uh, when Timothy comes to Christ, that that relationship begins. So in Paul, if you remember, we've seen a radical transformation from persecutor of the brethren to a great evangelist. He does a 180-degree turn on the road to Damascus. It's that transformation in Paul that collides with Timothy's calling. And that calling, remember, began in a home through his mother and grandmother. Timothy's discipleship continues under Paul's leadership. And as Timothy matured into faith, Paul places him over the church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a large city, being current-day Turkey. Uh, and being a pastor in a large city over a large church at a fairly young age was daunting for Timothy. But being a good father, Paul writes to Timothy to encourage him and to remember his calling. Because he knows Timothy will be met with opposition as he deals with false teachers and issues contrary to the word of God. Paul writes 2 Timothy, it's his last book that he writes, that the Lord has him put to the page, from a Roman prison cell, and he knows his days are numbered. He knows that he'll be martyred very soon. But he wants to see Timothy. He longs to see his son. Several others have uh, deserted him, but he wants to see Timothy in particular. But if he doesn't, he writes this last book to encourage him, to strengthen him, and, and to pour into his spiritual son one more time. So open up to 2 Timothy 1, and I'm going to read the first 12 verses. By the way, the uh, title of the message is up on the screen, Faithful Father, Leaving a Legacy. So let's look at uh, 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, 
not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we see the depth of it. Lord, how it is applicable to our lives. Lord, you gave it to us to guide us. Lord, help us by the power of your spirit. Lord, help me that these words would be yours and not mine. Lord, may your spirit fill this place, each one of us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's, uh, let's look at these verses closely here, and we'll start in verse 1, surprisingly. Um, Paul starts it as he does most of his books. And he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And what he's saying here is, it's an upfront recognition of who he is. It's not by any whim of man. It's not by his strivings to be an apostle. It's by God. And so he is laying out, I'm writing this. God has appointed me to be an apostle. And that's the authority behind it. Then in verse 2, Timothy says, or uh, Paul says to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. My first point is, a faithful father tells his children that he loves them. He's not, he's not afraid to use those terms. He tells them often. So fathers, let your children know you love them and tell them often, especially after disappointment or discipline. Here we see a man that was able to share his love for his spiritual son openly. He puts it to the pen. This was during a time when Paul was facing certain death, yet he only thinks of others, and in particular, Timothy. In 1 Timothy, it's interesting that Paul referenced Timothy as a true son in the faith. And you could see now the contrast in his second book, his last book that he writes. He calls him his beloved son. It's much more personal and heartfelt. And one other note in verse 2. In the three pastoral epistles, which is 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, Paul added the greeting, in the greeting, mercy, grace, mercy, and peace. All others, it was just grace and peace. Here he adds mercy because he's writing to a pastor, and he knows that each pastor needs God's mercy as he serves. Moving on to three and four here, we see point number two, and that is a faithful father prays for his children. And he writes here, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day. So as often as the Lord brings to remembrance, Paul prays for Timothy. There's no greater power that we possess than to pray for our children. As our country and this world spirals away from God, and we get closer to Jesus' second coming, our children need more prayer and more protection from Satan. You know, as each generation passes, it's just getting more and more out of control. You know, as I think of the things of when I was my grandchildren's age and the way the country uh, and the world was going at that particular time, it's not even close to what it is now. And we know that like a woman's labor pains, that things will continue to grow worse and worse. So we need to pray for our children. We also need to pray with your children, no matter the age. Um, as um, kind of cool, but even uh, this morning during worship, 
uh, Tuan had mentioned uh, the Lord's Prayer. And in that, that's when the Lord was modeling prayer to the apostles. So we know that he thinks that's important. We need to do that as well. Model prayer to your children. And in Paul, we see a father that knows what is important. And he lets his son know that this is a great part of my life, praying, and that he's covering him in prayer. So first we see a father tells his children that he loves them. And then he tells them that I'm praying for you. In verse 4, Paul shares his heart in his wanting to see Timothy. He misses him. And he recalls the last time he's seen him and Timothy's tears as they're parting. And, you know, whenever you leave a loved one and you don't know when you're going to see them again, that's a tough thing. And here Paul is in a prison cell and many have deserted him. And he's thinking about Timothy and how Timothy... um, was grieving as Paul left. So we see a father telling his son, I can't wait to see you again. It's a good thing to open your heart to your children. Paul writes in verse 4, that I may be filled with joy. The same thing that makes Paul happy is what should make a dad happy. Paul is longing to see his son one more time. In verse 5, We see, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, I am persuaded, is in you also. And we quickly come to point three, and we're going to sit on this one for a while, and that is encourage your children. Paul encourages Timothy. A faithful father should encourage his children often doesn't matter even if you're a father, though. If you're a single mom, encourage your child or children. It's okay. Uh, Single dad, encourage them. You want to be the one that they can count on. Paul points out that he was taught the scriptures, that Timothy was taught the scriptures by his mother and grandmother. So, again, wasn't the perfect home. The father was not a believer. But Paul knows that Timothy's faith is genuine, and it's always been a part of his life. So Paul was used by God to likely bring Timothy to the Lord on his first missionary journey. Second missionary journey, he puts him into service as a pastor. So Paul now is encouraging Timothy two things. One, he knows his upbringing of growing up in a home where the scriptures were taught has laid a foundation. And then secondly, Paul has seen Timothy's service since his calling, so he knows that he is serving faithfully. Paul was certain that Timothy's faith was genuine. So now he's telling Paul, uh, I'm sorry, now he's telling Timothy, in effect, son, you got this. You're able. A dad encourages his children. Um, you know, as I was thinking about that and how he is constantly pouring into Timothy, uh, I see sometimes where that's not the case in some. Uh, I get to go to uh, some of my grandson's games and, um, and, and I'm watching, and I try not to get too involved, but I'm, I don't do a real good job at that. I, but, I'm, uh, you know, the only thing I want out of them is to, to play hard, run hard, hit the ball hard, play the game hard, give it everything you have. And... Um, but I, I hear other parents there, and they're so caught up in it that they are critical of their children on the field or whether they're up at bat. And it, it's just, uh, I'm discouraged when I hear those things. And don't be like that. You know, I, I, as I was growing up and playing ball, I've seen many a kid get burned out and not want to play because of the pressure that they felt from their parents. That is not what we see here. You know, this is Paul telling Timothy, you got it, son. I I know you could do it. You know, it's important that we're not parents that are, you know, discouraging or, you know, that's what, because that's what a child's going to remember. When I was growing up, my my dad was 52 when I was born. Uh, He played professional soccer. So he understood athletics. Uh, My mom, you know, they'd come to every one of the games. and, And my mom would sit there just cheering me on, just, you know, Never, neg- never a negative word, but she's just, you know, cheering me on. My dad never said a word, ever. And 
but he, I, could, I know he was nervous, you know. He would start walking around or maybe light up a cigar or whatever. But, but it was, uh, I could see he was churning. And I get that now when I watch my grandsons. Uh, you know, even my, when my granddaughter's competing in swimming, I, I get nervous for them. But my dad, the only thing he would say was, hey, you had a good game today. The only other thing he would say was, hey, it wasn't your day. And that, that was it. And, and that was good because even when he said it wasn't your day, to me that meant the next day will be my day. And so I never felt any pressure from them. It was already enough just, you know, playing and that type of thing. So, you know, that's, that's a good thing, guys. Don't be, don't be the dad who's always telling your kid what to do, when to do it. You're not doing it. Encourage them. Verses 6 and 7, Paul writes, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. More encouragement from Paul. Uh, He knows his son well and what type of encouragement that he needs. Know your your child well enough because in, in their weaknesses, don't let them you know, shrink back, encourage them. Because the strength of the Lord is what brings us forward. Here, Paul is telling Timothy, remember that God has gifted you. He continues to tell Timothy to don't let your gifts fade away. In the Greek, the term stir up here means the stirring up of like embers of a fire. You know, you want to keep that fire burning bright. So here we have Paul telling Timothy, let that fire burn bright. Your fire, your love for the Lord, your, your love for the gospel. Let that burn bright, Timothy. In this uh, particular verse, there's three subpoints that I want to point out to you. First, and, and Timothy gets a bit of a bad rep about this, but it suggests that Timothy was a man who tended to be timid and, and who didn't like to confront people or take a strong stand on the issues. Remember, Paul's warning about false teaching and the the issues that that can cause. So we see that Timothy maybe didn't like to confront. That's point one. Point two, you know, we get the feeling that Timothy uh, had a shepherd's heart for his sheep, and he loved them, um, but didn't have that boldness. And uh, here Paul is, and let's remember, Paul wasn't afraid of that. Although he, he loved the Lord and loved um, you know, being an evangelist and, and starting churches. He wasn't afraid to confront either. Remember that in uh, uh, Galatians that he confronts Peter. And um, Peter was a pretty bold guy, but Paul wasn't afraid to confront him and set him straight. So secondly, Paul wants to develop in Timothy the boldness necessary to really lead and protect the flock. And then third, in First and Second Timothy, there's 25 different places where Paul encourages Timothy to be bold. 25 times in just these two books. He knows what his son needs, and he's encouraging in the, in the area that he most needs it. In verse 7, Paul continues to build up Timothy. Paul tells his spiritual son what is from God, and what is not. Fear is from Satan, but the spirit of love and power is from God. So we see a good, good father that knows his son well. Paul tells Timothy it's the Holy Spirit that enables us to serve God and to overcome fear. I, uh, I've, I've said this before, but you know, those times when um, you know, you're asked to serve the Lord or you feel the Lord's calling you to do something, Usually there's an uncomfortable step that begins it. And that's a good thing, because if you're not uncomfortable, you may be moving in your flesh. But I think about the team that went to Guatemala, and probably, I think maybe all of them, well, not all of them, nearly all of them have never been on a missions trip before. And so that's not an easy place to get to, to say, I'm going to get on a plane, I'm going to go to Guatemala, never been there before, don't speak the language but I'm going to do this for Christ. So when I think of something like that or 
You know, even you know, I think about Dr. Russ or, or myself sharing, and we don't get a chance to share very often. It's not comfortable to come up here, and you know, I don't do it all the time. Um, but I know the Lord has called me to do it. So it's okay to, to not feel like you're so called and so ready to do it, because it's only through the power of Christ that we can. But no matter our talents, without the power of the Holy Spirit, we are not prepared. The Spirit also gives love, as we see in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Timothy did not need any new spiritual ingredients, right? He didn't need a new Bible commentary. He didn't need exploding lights on the stage at Ephesus. I don't think they had lights. I don't even know if they had a stage. But you get my point, is that Paul's saying you have everything you need. The Spirit was within Timothy, and it was everything that he needed. Paul emphasizes that time and time again. So he continues to encourage Timothy by reminding him, you got this, son. You got it. You can do it. Keep your eyes on the Lord. He gives you the power that you need. Don't be afraid. Then he also, see, he also says, you know, push away those things that aren't from God and walk in those things that he gives us, which is a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. Like Timothy, we can, we can fear to do some things, right? Whether it's speaking in front of a group of people or leading a group of people or whatever it is, you, it, they can have that, that fear. I understand that. But that's when you have to understand where that fear comes from. And that if the Lord is wanting you to bring him glory in some way, he'll give you the, the strength that you need in his spirit. And that's not a boldness that comes out of our flesh either. It's being filled with the power of the Spirit, which not only casts out fear, but guides us and leads us. Let's look at the the next five verses, which is 8 through 12. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us, and called us with the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles, For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul's now telling Timothy to share in the work of the gospel. Timothy will need boldness and courage. But as I was uh, reading through a few different commentaries and Bible scholars, uh, this fact came upon me, and I just never considered it, and I don't think we think about it too often. Let's put ourselves in Timothy's shoes. It was not easy to serve a king who came to save and to serve and then died a brutal death on the cross. In those times, people thought of a king as someone who conquered anything and anybody. Though that was not Jesus' way, right? So that was a little different. And even bold Peter struggled for three times when he was asked if he was a follower of Christ. So that's the first thing. Now Jesus might have, I mean, uh, Timothy might have appeared timid, but let's keep it in the context of this period of time His age, he was a young pastor, and within the parameters of a large church. That's a lot going on for Timothy. So, you know, we always think of timid Timothy, but I don't know how bold any one of us would be in that particular situation. Also notice that Paul is saying to share in the ministry of serving the Lord, as we see in the portion of Scripture that says, share with me in the sufferings for the gospel. 
As Timothy's spiritual father, he's saying, work alongside me. It's almost as if Paul is saying, this is our family business. Let's work together on this. And more importantly, God has given us all that we need to do. Paul's saying he saved us, and there's a purpose for our lives. Our Savior is mighty, and we have nothing to fear. He says, God's appointed me to do this work. He's appointed us to do this work. And now you, son, are ready for this work. In all of Paul's writings, he's telling Timothy he is able. I was looking for a good quote uh, on fatherhood, and um, I came across this. And uh, it's not from Billy Graham or Spurgeon. It's from Jim Valvano. Now, some of you know that name. He, is a basketball, he was a basketball coach. He coached uh, North Carolina State. 1983, they won the national championship. Big upset over uh, Houston. Now, some others probably know him as, as this famous speech that he gave as he was dying of cancer. And his basic um, point was never give up. And so that's become famous. Now, he died in 1993, so it's been over 20 years. But he said something that I thought was really applicable to Paul and Timothy's relationship. And he said, my father gave me the greatest gift anyone can give another person. He believed in me. And Paul believes in Timothy. Dads, moms, grandparents, when you believe in your children and grandchildren and you let them know that, hey, you got this. I believe in you. What a great um, just strengthening of character it is for them, knowing that they have people behind them that, that are praying for them and love them. And it's a great thing to have. So continue to encourage your children. Now, if Timothy will take hold of the courage that God gives, he'll not be ashamed of the gospel. That's true for us today. You know, as Paul's writing this from a Roman prison, Paul's fate seems hopeless. Um, if you were a Roman citizen and you're watching all this unfold and you know Paul's in a, in a prison, um, you've got to believe that it's not looking good for him. He's in no position to encourage anybody. But let's consider the, the power of the Roman Empire at this time. They... Uh, ruled over what would now be 48 countries at that particular time. 48 countries. 21% of the Earth's population was under the Roman Empire. That's how big they were. One of the greatest um, empires in, in human history. Yet, here's Paul writing in a Roman prison to his spiritual son saying, it's good. We have the power of God behind us. And what happens? The Roman Empire falls. But the gospel continues on. And in Matthew 24, it will outlast the heavens and the earth. That's why the word is important to us. It's never going to fade away. It's not going away, particularly from this pulpit. And if it was important then, while Paul writes it from a prison, it's still important now, isn't it? Paul continues to invest and build up Timothy in this section of Scripture. In verses 11 and 12, Paul writes, I know who I am in Christ, and I'm not fearful of this present age. He writes he's sure that God will keep what Paul is committing to him until that day. And until that day is when he sees Jesus face to face. Hebrews 13.5, my favorite verse, I will never leave you nor forsake you, applies very well here. He knows that Christ is with him till the end, even though his days are dwindling quickly. Paul gives his son Timothy a lot of encouragement, knowing he needs it. But it doesn't end there for Paul. And we get to my next point, which he goes on to give godly counsel. Fourth point, he goes on to give godly counsel. Let's take a look at 2 Timothy 
chapter 2, verses 15 through 18. So I kept you real close. Chapter 2, verses 15 and 18. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus were of this sort, who have strayed concerning the faith, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of son. So he's, he's telling Timothy what he needs to know. Timothy's a pastor, and he was to know God's word well. He had to know what it said and what it didn't say. And he needed to understand it. So a faithful father gives his son godly counsel. He tells Timothy, your teaching has to rightly divide the word of God. Paul understands the importance of the word of God, and he wants to impart that upon Timothy. He needs it to correctly teach the church that God has entrusted him with. Charles Spurgeon said this about the word of God. Swords are meant, to be, are meant to cut and hack and wound and kill with. And the word of truth is for pricking men in the heart and killing their sins. The word of God is not committed to God's ministers to amuse men with its glitter, nor to charm them with the jewels in its hilt, but to conquer their souls for Jesus. Timothy had to study and had to know God's word. Paul then goes on to counsel Timothy on what to avoid. He goes on to say in verse 16, avoid false teaching. And with false teaching is false worship. Anything that takes our focus off of Jesus and the word must be avoided. That's why there's order in our church, um, in our worship, in our sanctuary setting. There are those who, uh, in that church in Ephesus, Ephesus, who brought focus on themselves and anything that causes our eyes to focus on something or someone other than the Lord has to be avoided. And the parallel for us as fathers or the leader of your home is that you rightly divide the word for your family. You want to give them the counsel of God's word, the full counsel of his word. Paul goes on to say that the message of a false teacher spreads like a cancer. You know what is popular um, and, and gains a large audience? It's not necessarily godly. You just need to watch a televangelist to know that. They will tell them what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. Paul gives the names of two men that are examples of false teachers, Hymenaeus and Philetus. And he tells Timothy, you have to avoid these false teachers. You have to cut them and men like them off. They will undercut the faith of some, and that's a strict judgment the Lord will have on them. Paul also mentioned uh, in chapter 4, Alexander the coppersmith as a man to avoid. He had done much harm to Paul. So faithful father gives his children wise, godly counsel. We're going to move on to point five now. A faithful father leaves a godly legacy. What is it that you want to leave your children? It's been wisely said that if all we leave to our children is something for the lawyers to settle, you've left nothing at all. Every, everything's going to burn, right? So no matter what we leave, the only thing that will last will be in a spiritual realm. Um, whatever I have, my family can have. It, I want them to live a good life. I want it to be a comfortable life for them. But if that's all I leave them, that's not going to last very long. Um, so the Lord's blessed me in a lot of ways, but one of the things that are, are really uh, a blessing I consider is that we're, 
we're close by. You know, my family's close by, and we'll spend uh, today together, and we, as we do uh, often. And that's a great blessing. That's greater than um, you know any gift that uh, that I could receive. Although I I still like them. Uh, but uh, this morning I was reading something uh, in Billy Graham's devotional, and uh, and it just was a perfect illustration here. And it was uh, G. Campbell Morgan telling this story. He said, a father and his young daughter were great friends and much in each other's company. Then the father noted a change in his daughter. If he went for a walk, she excused herself from going. He grieved about it, but could not understand. When his birthday came, she presented him with a pair of exquisitely worked slippers, saying, I have made them for you. Then he understood what had been the matter for these past three months, and he said, my darling, I love these slippers very much, but next time, buy the slippers and let me have you all the days. I would rather have my, ch- my child than anything she can make for me. I just think that is a great example of the time that we spend together. And uh, fathers, mothers, spend as much time as you can with your children. That is a great blessing. Um, so again... That's part of having a godly legacy is, is the time you pour into your children and your grandchildren for that matter. Uh, and it's never too late. You know, it's, uh, uh, if, if in these five points you find things that you're not doing well, I could find things that I'm not doing well. It's never too late. It's, it's always a good time to do the right thing. Um, I want to look at one more verse before, we, uh, before I close. And that's 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 7, it talks about Paul's legacy here. Chapter 4, verse 7. Paul writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This is Paul's legacy. Paul often compared our life to an athletic event, which is why I like Paul. Uh, His legacy here, is that he fought the fight well and finished the race, all the while playing by the rules. Children, they know us well. You might not think they see things in us that they do. So when you don't play by the rules, they see that. Let's try to limit that as part of our legacy. Lead a life of integrity in God's word. Our greatest legacy is how we pour Christ into our children and grandchildren, and that is all that will remain. Uh, As I said, all the material things will burn away, every single one of them. Only what you leave through Christ will last. Uh, So if you're single, if you're married without children, you will still have a legacy. We all do. If you're living this Christian life, which, as I was talking to uh, one of the men this morning, you know, it's it's not easy. It's not always easy, and just joy-filled Christian life. It, it can be a difficult time uh, for any one of us. Um, so we all have a legacy of how we handle that and every other part of our lives. To those people that we come across, whether it is in our neighborhood, uh, where we work, so you have a legacy to live and to leave. And so I want to read you a story that's a great example of leaving a legacy, and it's a true story. And you might have heard it before, but um, I don't think we've ever shared it from this pulpit, but I heard it recently. Uh, And it also reminds me of the men and women that serve in our children's ministry, and particularly those who serve and don't have a child in the children's ministry, which is really a great blessing. And I I can name most of them, but I don't want to leave anyone out. But you know who you are, and I thank you for that. So the name of the story is a nobody named Kimball. Edward Kimball was concerned about one of his young Sunday school students who worked at a shoe store in town. One day, Kimball visited him at the store, found the student working in the back stocking shelves, and led him to Christ then and there. Dwight L. Moody eventually left the store to become one of the greatest preachers and evangelists of all time. Moody, whose international speaking took him to the British Isles, 
preached in a little chapel pastored by a young man with the imposing name of Frederick Brotherton Meyer. In his sermon, Moody told an emotionally charged story about a Sunday school teacher who personally went to every student in his class and led each of them to Christ. That message changed Pastor Meyer's ministry, inspiring him to become an evangelist like Moody. Over the years, Meyer came to America. While speaking in Northfield, Massachusetts, a young preacher heard Meyer say, if you are not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? Which we use that often from this pulpit. That remark led J. Wilbur Chapman to respond to the call of God on his life. Chapman went on to become the most effective, one of the most effective evangelists of his time. A volunteer by the name of Billy Sunday, which, by the way, is a great book for any young boy to read, great autobiography. Um, Billy Sunday uh, helped set up his crusades. So a volunteer by the name of Billy Sunday helped set up Chapman's crusades and learned how to preach by watching Chapman. Sunday eventually took over Chapman's ministry, becoming one of the most dynamic evangelists of the 20th century. Billy Sunday's preaching brought thousands to Christ. Inspired by a 1924 Billy Sunday crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina, a group of Christians dedicated themselves to reaching their city for Christ. The group invited the evangelist Mordecai Ham to come and hold a series of evangelistic meetings in 1932. A lanky 16-year-old sat in a huge crowd one evening, spellbound by the message the white-haired preacher gave. Each evening, the preacher seemed to be shouting and waving his finger at the young man. Night after night, the teen came and finally went forward to give his life to Christ. That teenager was Billy Graham. Billy Graham has communicated the gospel to more people than any other person in history, and it all started with a Sunday school teacher named Kimball. Millions have been affected by his decision to go into a shoe store and share Christ with one person. Millions more will continue to feel his impact. I love that story. And in fact, I was thinking about it this morning. It doesn't end there. Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, is still reaching the world for for Christ through his ministry. So it continues on. This story is not finished. And... uh, So I think, is this something that could happen today? You know it can. God wants you, and he wants me, to change the world, to make an eternal difference by sharing the gospel with those around you, starting in your home with your children and those you touch. Again, that's why it's so important for those who are in the children's ministry. I don't, you know, we've had several several of the the young boys and girls come to Christ this year. Do we know how the Lord's going to use them? I don't. I pray he uses them in a a great way and that they follow him all the days of his life. But it's important that we have people that are giving them the word. And again, thank you guys for those that are taking care of our kids out there. So, a father. A father should tell his children... He loves them and do it often. Pray daily for his children. Pray with his children. Model prayer. Third, he should encourage his children. It can never be too much. Provide godly counsel. Know the word so you can give the word. And leave a godly legacy. It is the only thing that will last. Let's pray. Father, in this place that you provide, Lord, we're thankful that we can gather and and look at your word and Lord, know that you love us. You surely are a father to the fatherless. 
Lord, you love us with an everlasting love. You knew us in the womb. You are a good, good father. Lord, help us, help each man here to be a good father. Not by the world's definition, but by yours. Help us to pour into our families. Lord, those things that will last well beyond our our lives. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for being a father to us and for longing to have a relationship with us. I feel convicted that if you're here today and you don't have that relationship with the Father in heaven and you don't know where your home will be when you leave this earth, I'm going to ask Dr. Russ to come up and he'll be in the prayer corner. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, it will be tough to leave a legacy, a godly legacy. So if you're sitting there today and you've never made that decision, I pray that you'll make that decision now. No one has ever regretted that. No one has ever said, I made that decision too quickly. No one has ever said, what a mistake that has been for me. So if you don't know him as your father today, as your personal savior, Jesus died for you. That's love. And if you don't know that love, take a moment after this service and just talk to Dr. Russ. Let him lead you in a prayer that has you as a child of God, knowing the Lord, and spending eternity with him.